there. Welcome to the Real World NP Podcast. I'm Liz Rohr, family nurse practitioner, educator, and founder of Real World NP, an educational company for nurse practitioners in primary care. I'm on a mission to equip and guide new nurse practitioners so that they can feel confident, capable, and take the best care of their patients. If you're looking for clinical pearls and practice tips without the fluff, you're in the right place. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review so you won't miss an episode. Plus, you'll find links to all the episodes with extra goodies over at realworldnp.com podcast. Oh my goodness, time management for new nurse practitioners is such a struggle. In this week's episode, I want to share about um, my time management tips, specifically as it relates to getting my patient history. Because when it comes to the visits that um, we're doing as clinicians, the history, especially as a new nurse practitioner, can get very long and unwieldy and hard to navigate. So in this video, I'm going to be talking about my approach that I recommend and that I take myself that will hopefully help you save time, get a more accurate diagnosis, a more accurate treatment, and save you know time with referrals and healthcare dollars and tests that you're choosing, all of those things. All of that comes from a really stellar history, but doing it in a way that is much faster. So the first thing that I recommend is that you have some sort of systematic approach. And this is not about perfection or about rigidity, but just picking one way to do your visits and doing it the exact same way every single time, the best that you can, right? So when you do that, you eliminate that mental clutter that we all have as new nurse practitioners and as nurse practitioners with experience too. So we're not thinking about all these different cluttered things. You have this muscle memory experience of like, this is how I conduct my visits. This is the order I ask my questions so that it saves you some time so that you're not popping out of the room a million different times because you forgot to ask different questions. You know, you're not, I'm not sure if I should ask that, if I asked that already, et cetera, et cetera. But just like real talk also, you're probably going to leave the room a thousand times to begin with anyway, whether you're a student or a new grad, like that's normal, but it will help you cut down on that. So the systematic approach I want to talk about in this episode is about symptom specific visits, whether it's a symptom, uh, sick visit, symptom-based sick visit, chief complaint, or if it's a chronic care management visit, but there's a little bit more of a symptom specific issue that you're talking about. And the framework that I use is, is the acronym old cart. And you may have already used this in school, but what it stands for is that it's onset, location, duration, characteristics, associated factors, relieving factors, and time. So I'm going to break down each of these sections and add my pearls of practice to help you get all that information, but get it faster. So let's use an example of abdominal pain. The very first thing that I say to every single patient is, okay, so when did it start? Like actually to the point where I play with, I play hospital with my daughter and she'll actually say that question herself. Like I'll be the patient and she'll ask, oh, when did it start? Which is very cute. But anyway, that is the way that I always start basically every visit. Okay. When did it start? So I want to pause here and give you my second biggest tip aside from using a systematic approach to your visits, which is giving options. I, I cannot recommend this enough. Basically what happens, so for example, with this abdominal pain patient, if you say, okay, when did it start? Most of the time, and if I do not give options for the patient to answer, like general options of which to generally choose from, they'll kind of look at me with a deer in the headlights look of like, well, 
And as a patient myself, like I've been in these situations of like, okay, like the questions start coming up. Does she mean hours? Does she mean days? Does it matter if I say 10 days or seven days? Right. I think it gets people like people get a little bit anxious with that. I definitely do as a patient. So what I do instead is say, okay, when did it start? Days, weeks, months, years. Like I go right into it. Like that is part of like that first main question. Cause it gives the context and the framework of like, I don't actually know, but it's definitely more than days. Maybe it's weeks, maybe it's months. I don't think it's years, right? But it immediately sets the stage of like, it doesn't have to be one year and 25 days, right? So it gives you that general, general framework of what you're looking for. And it cuts right down to the fact that it doesn't need to be that exact. Of course, that depends on the chief complaint that you're looking at, right? Some some things are more important in terms of like minutes to hours, but again, using your clinical judgment to assess whether or not you need to be specific. So the next one is location. I love anatomy-based differentials. So if we're using the, uh, talking about abdominal pain, you want to differentiate like where the location generally speaking is, right? So epigastric pain, lower abdominal pain, right-sided, left-sided, it will start to give you as a clinician the sense of where to go with your differential diagnosis, as well as help you with the history questions. Um, One thing that's really, really been so cool as a nurse practitioner getting experience over time is that I've gotten to this place, and a lot of experienced clinicians will get to this place as well, when you have somebody with epigastric pain as their chief complaint, for example, you know, because you've done it so many thousands of times, you know what the generally speaking, the differential diagnoses are off the top of your head. So that you can say, okay, epigastric pain, I want to make sure that I'm ruling out, um, you know, peptic ulcer disease um, or gastritis or a heart attack, you know, like, et cetera, et cetera. Like you have those differentials in the front of your mind. So those actually help you direct the questions that you're asking in your history because it's match. It's basically like matching them up. How many pertinent positives versus pertinent negatives do I have for this differential diagnosis according to my history, Right. One hack though, because if you're listening to this, you're likely an NP student or a newer nurse practitioner, it's going to take a while to get there and you will get there and it's going to be so fun, right? But until you get to that place, um, there's a hack I want to share with you. One thing that I did as a new nurse practitioner myself was even if I had somebody with epigastric pain in front of me, even if I couldn't rattle off the differential diagnoses for that area of a chief complaint, I just instead asked all the questions. So what what do you mean all the questions? So basically I asked the whole, and this really actually also ties into the associated factors question that you want to ask people. But if it's epigastric pain, you're not just picking out like, oh, you know, if I want to make sure it's not a heart attack, I want to ask this question. If I want to make sure that it's, you know, this diagnosis, I ask this question, just ask the full thing, right? So GI is that review of systems area, right? So all of the questions, not just nausea and vomiting, like all of them, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, constipation, weight loss, blood and stool, all the questions, right? And then the next part is that even if you're not sure what the differential diagnoses are, what are the potential other body systems that could be affected, right? And then you can hack your way backwards into like, oh, okay, those are the actual questions that I could have more like precision asked those questions instead, but this is more of the like hacked let's ask all the things approach, if that makes sense, right? So GU, for example, and cardiac and respiratory for GI complaints, you want to ask all the ROS questions for those systems. And so if myself, I had a piece of paper that I would bring in as a nurse practitioner student, and I would ask all of those questions, like literally off of a clipboard, no shame, 
we're here to learn, right? And then when I was a new grad, I luckily had my EHR on my laptop that I brought into the patient room and I could ask all of those questions. So that was, that was super helpful. Um, I definitely recommend doing that. Like, don't, don't waste any time being like, oh, I should know the differential diagnosis. Like, no, 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 just, just do it. Just jump in, ask all the questions, right? And then the next one, I skipped over characteristics, but the C is for characteristics. It's a little bit straightforward. Again, I give options for that too. Is it burning, stabbing, aching, things like that? Pretty straightforward. So that leads us through onset, location, duration, characteristics, associated factors, and relieving factors. So I have some feelings about this one um, and also some definite hacks to share. So what relieving factors is referring to is, you know, asking about, are you using anything that helps with your symptoms right now? So you have abdominal pain. Are you, you know, you're burning abdominal pain in your upper belly. Are you using anything to help with your symptoms and antacids, other things? Again, I, I can't even help myself. I give examples right away. I give options right away of things of exactly kind of generally speaking what I'm looking for, right? However, one of the mistakes um, that I made as a new nurse practitioner, I want to share a little story about. So pausing on that abdominal pain example, I had a patient a couple of years ago when I was a new grad who had a little bit of cognitive impairment. So that may have actually been part of this clinical picture, but she came in complaining of shoulder pain and it actually radiated down from her shoulder to her wrist. And I was like, I have no idea what this is. I dug and I dug and I dug and I asked all the questions. I took this whole approach of this whole like onset location duration. I asked all the associated body systems, the full ROS, all that stuff. I actually excused myself, looked things up on up to date, which definitely do that if you're not doing that already. Um, And I asked more history questions. I came up with a plan of care and I was like, you know what? I think you have really severe carpal tunnel. And I was so proud of myself. It was such a beautiful diagnosis because FYI, that can happen, that it feels like so severe that they feel it all the way up in their shoulder. But I started talking about bracing and injections and she might need surgery and all of this stuff. And she interrupts me and she's like, oh, Liz, I saw my orthopedic yesterday. He said, I might need another surgery. And I was like, okay. (laughs) Like, that's not the, like, that is not the only time that happened. And hopefully that will be, you know, it probably won't be the last, but again, I'm pretty good now of like my kind of like reflex question is like, have you had this happen before? Right. Because again, she had some cognitive impairment and that was like the most marked story that I have, but I have so many other instances where I did not ask, have you had this before? And is there anything you've done for it before or doing for it now only to like go through this whole beautiful workup and be so proud of myself. And then I could have just asked a question and saved like 20 minutes of my time of both of our time. But anyway, going back to the abdominal pain example, if they have burning epigastric pain with some weight loss, for example, did they get H. pylori treatment last year and they never came back for retesting or they needed an endoscopy and then they didn't go, right? So that tells you a lot of information. So always, always ask about those previous treatments that they may have had in the past because for some reason, patients don't volunteer it. It happens all the time. I'm just, I'm always so surprised and you know what, it's just intimidating to be at the, you know, primary care clinic. So I understand, but definitely don't forget to ask that to save you both some time. So a couple other things I want to share. One thing that my primary care uh, provider did for me when I was having some health issues, she asked me what it looked like in my daily life. And I was like, what even is that question? Like, what does that mean? But it was so um, enlightening. And I've started using it for my own patients because, you know, I think one of the temptations as a new nurse practitioner is we're just, we have so much on our mind and so much on our plate. And so like, 
a lot of mentees that I've had have been like, okay, I have epigastric pain. I'm thinking about all these labs. I'm thinking about ordering an ABCT versus like, let's take a second, take a step back, like paint the picture of what it looks like in their life. Right. Because like, that might sound obvious. I don't know if it does, but if that sounds obvious, like the thing that we're trying to tease out here is like, is this pancreatitis or is this like a gastritis or severe heartburn? Right. Like it's important to use that information and really paint that picture because the more severe, generally speaking, anecdotally, the more severe differential diagnoses are going to have more specific symptoms and more clear, like, yes, it started yesterday. I was doing this thing and it is right here. Like that's like a little bit of a broad brush, but like typically speaking, the less urgently severe things are a little bit more vague. But anyway, it helps them to, it helps to kind of paint that picture of like, is it only in the morning? Is it in between meals? Is it only with meals? Is it also on the weekend? For example, with like respiratory things, like if they have symptoms on the weekdays and they work in a factory and then on the weekends, they feel fine. They might be reacting to something in their space. Right. So that kind of like helps you figure out for the abdominal pain example, going back to that, instead of jumping right to amylase, lipase, CMP, ABCT, ultrasound, like you can kind of take a step back and be like, you know what, actually this might be severe heartburn. Let's try some proton pump inhibitors for the next two to four weeks, see how they feel. Cause there's no red flags that I've found in my history so far, for example. Right. Another note I want to share with you is that I want to give you is it's about tone and speed. And I want to give you the permission that you are the captain in this scenario. Ultimately, patients are responsible for their health. They're in charge of their own lives and they get to make decisions about what they do, of course, which is like part of my whole philosophy of practice as a nurse practitioner. However, you need to know that in this role as a nurse practitioner, they're coming to you for help and you are the expert. Even if you don't feel like an expert, you know more than they do and you know what you're there for and how to help them. And so it's okay for you to redirect them and ask questions. So for example, if you ask questions like, when did this start? And you either get something that's kind of like a non-answer or an answer that goes off to the side, isn't really appropriate to what you're talking about. You know, they could jump to other old cart specific questions, right? And that's totally fine. And you can kind of jump around if you need to, but it's okay to bring them back, like politely interrupting and redirecting and asking that same question again. This is like a very minor thing, but in terms of taking a history, especially with patients who can be very chatty and it's, it breaks my heart not to be chatty with them, but unfortunately that's just the nature of healthcare that we have to move our visits along. But like somebody shared with me when I was a nurse practitioner student of interrupting using the words and, and when did that start versus, but when did that start? It's a very, very minor thing, but once you hear it, you can kind of get the vibe of like, It's almost like more inviting and more encouraging to say, to interrupt somebody with and blah, 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 blah versus, but blah, 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 blah. You know, I don't know. Maybe that's a very minor thing, but you know, I'd say, oh, and actually, so like, when did it start? Like specifically, and when did it start? Was it like, can you tell me in days or weeks? Like just asking the same question in multiple different ways. I feel kind of silly doing that sometimes, but unfortunately that's just part of it. And sometimes we have to redirect patients, especially when they get nervous during visits. When you go in with that more directed, like options-based speed and tone, 
it tends to make the flow of the visit better. You can get better information and you can actually help them better, right? Because that's what we're here to do. So I want to give you permission and empower you to do that because sometimes we do need to interrupt. We do need to redirect. We do need to ask the same question a couple of different times in a couple of different ways. It's important to make sure that it's not just them feeling heard because that's incredibly important. You might feel like you're interrupting them and then they feel like they're not getting good care, but it's actually quite the opposite in some ways because if you don't get all the information that you need, you're not ultimately helping them. And your history taking will get a lot more finessed the more you practice doing it. And most patients know when you're coming from a good place, even if you feel like you're bungling it and you're not doing it the most smooth and you know, easeful way than you would really prefer to. The other side of that too, is if you're repeatedly letting your histories go really long and conversations going very winding and you're not getting the answers that you need to, to help them, you can't get your work done. And then it's not helping them in the moment. And it's also not helping you in the long run because it's going to contribute to your burnout. And if you can't do it for yourself and your own need to not burn out, then you need to do it for your patients because you can't continue to be a nurse practitioner if you get burnt out, right? So hopefully that lands and that is empowering for you to use in your own practice. The last thing I want to uh, share with you is about approaching in a non-judgmental way. And so When it comes to nurse practitioner practice, most of us already coming in are coming from a non-judgmental place. We're coming from a place of like, we just want to help people. But I think what's really important, especially when it comes to history taking combined with this idea of giving options is a way to make it an even safer space for patients, right? So for example, giving options can be really helpful when we give them options that the patients themselves might be considered to be unacceptable or something that they're afraid to tell us, right? So for medication adherence, for example, so not assuming that they take their medications, that they know the names of their medications, they know what their diagnoses themselves are, giving them the out of being like, you know what? Yeah, I don't take my meds. I don't know what I'm supposed to be taking. I don't want to take them. I only take them three times a week, things like that. Because if you decide to change their plan of care, it can bring you in a lot of trouble. I did this a couple of months back and it's a little embarrassing to admit, but I had somebody who had cirrhosis who was discharged from the hospital for a UTI. I was assuming that she was familiar with her diagnoses, with her medications. I was trying to make medication changes. When she came back um, and answered me after uh, we were having this conversation back and forth, it seemed like we were having a fluid conversation where she understood what was going on. And I can't remember exactly what it was that she said, but it was something that made me feel like, oh, geez, we are just not even close to being on the same page right now. And it reeled me way far back in. And so what it had me do was just really simplify it and do one thing at a time. I think the context was that she had to take uh, antibiotics for her UTI and hadn't even filled the prescription yet. And it was just, it was, it was kind of a mess. We actually ended up getting case management involved because it came to light, like how, how much she was struggling with keeping track of all of her stuff. But I had her come in a lot sooner and then also, again, get that case manager involved. Um, So, you know, that patient didn't necessarily understand what cirrhosis was, what it meant, and that she needed to be taking lactulose and furosemide and, and what they're for and what that means, right? They might not even be able to read. And it's so important to, like, keep track of where our judgments are, but also give those options and outs for patients so that they can freely admit to you where they're at because we can't actually help them unless we know that, right? 
So if you open things up in that non-judgmental way, you'll get more information. So just to recap in this episode, number one, it's so important to pick a system that works for you and use it consistently. Consider using old cart um, as your acronym and using options. Asking things in non-judgmental ways, giving those options that they wouldn't necessarily want to admit to because that gives them the permission to admit to them and you're going to be okay to hear them and help them. Again, it's also like, maybe this goes without saying, but you also need to be okay with them saying yes to those options. So check and make sure that you're okay with that first, right? But um, setting the tone, um, the other thing is just to set the tone and redirect your patients to ask the questions as appropriate using and instead of but to interrupt people because it's really ultimately the way that we're going to help them, right? Remembering to think about how it looks in their daily life and not just jumping straight to the labs and the imaging that we want to order for epigastric pain, for example, and thinking about are there any half-step options which are more appropriate because it's potentially not a life-threatening situation, right? Again, do not forget to ask what treatments they've already done before and giving them all the options, always options. It's not necessarily leading them. It's just giving them options to choose from of the general sense of what they're looking for. That's our episode for today. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you subscribe, leave a review, and tell all your NP friends so together we can help as many nurse practitioners as possible give the best care to their patients. If you haven't gotten your copy of the ultimate resource guide for the new NP, head over to realworldnp.com guide. You'll get these episodes sent straight to your inbox every week with notes from me, patient stories, and extra bonuses I really just don't share anywhere else. Thank you so much again for listening. Take care and talk soon.